Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measure, Billy. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Well, really, all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. In the week that Aberdeen return to the scene of the highest of highs, Gothenburg. The stakes might not be quite as high as they were in 1983. Placed in the third qualifying round of the Europa Conference League is not quite the same as securing one of the bigger trophies in UEFA's calendar. Hopefully it's the same sort of outcome with an Aberdeen victory. Obviously, uh, we're all heartsick that we can't make it over to Sweden this week. Um, I dare say there'll be one or two intrepid Aberdeen fans who are flating various regulations and, and making their way over to Gothenburg even now. Uh, hats off to them tonight to look ahead to that trip to Gothenburg and to have more of an extended look back to that tremendous 5-1 win in the first leg against BK Hecken. We have Martin Clunas as usual. Martin, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you, Richard. Good, good. Um, for what is definitely a recipe for disaster, uh, another Martin on the show, Martin Ingram. Not because he's rubbish, just that two Martins is going to be chaotic. So how are you doing, Martin? I'm doing very well as well. Thank you. Pr- probably a bit of both. Probably that I'm a bit rubbish and it'll be a bit chaotic, but we'll, <laughs> we'll make the best out of it. And Mark Ellick is back with us again. Mark, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, thank you. If it makes things easier, just call me Martin. <laughs> <laughs> We can all be Martin tonight. We are all Martins tonight. Uh, so yeah, we, we did debrief, obviously, the immediate aftermath, the immediate afterglow of that very fine victory on Thursday. But let's uh, take a bit more time to to go back over what transpired last week at Petrovia and what was quite an emotional evening, I think. Um, obviously, the first thing to touch upon, Mark, it was the lineup, and the thing is. Nobody knew what to expect with this Aberdeen team, did we? Because we'd only had the two pre-season games. They'd been behind closed doors. So it, it really was up in the air as to what we'd see. It was, yeah, yeah. Um, I think when the team lines came out, you know, quarter to quarter to seven, we're all kind of having a look and kind of trying to suss where people are going to play. Um, two up front, you know, like that's, that's exactly what you want at home and on the front foot. Um, I think as soon as you see two up front, there's a bit of positivity about it. But um, yeah, yeah, good to see um, assured um, performances by uh, the young lads as well, I thought. Yeah, that was certainly one of the talking points, uh, Martin Ingram. The full-back spots um, went for experience on one side uh, and went for youth on the other side. Uh, I think what they both had in common, though, was was a bit of pace. And that's uh, something we've spoken about that the rest of the team is maybe lacking a bit of right now. But uh, Calvin Ramsey at 17 did exceptionally well. Johnny Hayes, shaky, I think, for spells in the 90 minutes. But the importance of the full-backs and the way that Stephen Glass wants to play, it hasn't changed from last year's setup, has it? It hasn't, and... First of all, I mean, 
uh, Mark is absolutely right. I thought the performance of the two young guys was so encouraging. Um, Calvin Ramsey, I think I'm right in saying, is, is, he, is he just about to have his 18th birthday soon? Um, for to, to be to look as good at right back as he currently does at the moment, I think the first time I saw him was when we had the away game against Dumbarton in the Scottish Cup last season, and he looked assured on the ball. He's quite a quite a physical presence, even at 17 years years old for the right back position. Um, confident going forward, um, and then another attribute that he obviously showed for the first goal last week: um, a, ter- a terrific cross over the ball, his corner kick to that 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 came to provide Andy Considine with the opener. So um, we don't. It's not good. You don't want to get too over the top with young players that are only you know 17 going on 18. But similarly, uh, Jack McKenzie. I don't. I don't think. I I don't have the feeling he was quite as far along as where. Calvin already is, but um, he made a great impact coming on. So in, in just 25 minutes and involved in a lot of the forward play going forward, I think he assisted a couple the, the last couple of goals. So again, really encouraging. And it will be interesting, you know, especially given their ages. Um, I think Calvin Ramsey for me is the first choice right back now going forward. Um, how much how much game time uh, Stephen Glass is, is 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 willing to subject him to because you do need to be careful with the the amount of mileage you're putting on players at that age. But I think it'll be interesting in the left-back position as well, because I agree, I think Johnny Hayes had quite a shaky game, actually. And um, I'm not sure, uh, I mean, it's maybe unfair to expect Johnny Hayes to come back and be the player he was with this in his first stint, but he he certainly isn't the player that he he was. It's not to say that he can't do a really good job for us as as the first-choice left-back, but it might be an interesting conversation that if... uh, Mackenzie continues to look that promising, albeit in a very you know short sample space. That that might be quite telling. But uh, the other thing to say, Richard, is that, that it's going to be really important the way Stephen Glass plays. I, I actually am really I'm really looking forward to seeing his play with two up front. If that's what, going to be the way going forward. But the one the one thing that you have to say about the way we we play or look like we're going to play is we're going to be exceptionally narrow if we're going to be two up front. Maybe Ryan Hayes, uh, sorry, uh, Ryan Hedges sitting in behind and kind of chalking up in the midfield. So it's going to be even more important that we get players that are able to um, get get wide and provide that creativity for us. Now the, the 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 early signs are really good with the young players, but I think it will be a lot expecting that from you know two teenagers for the, the entirety of a, of, a, of a season. So it'll be interesting to see you know whether we might be bringing some other players in or or what we can expect from the the other players to to produce that going forward. Uh, direct this one to the the other Martin. We had a we had a conversation last week on the show about the fullbacks, about you know how much game time will Calvin Ramsey get? Will Jack Gurr be a, a live contender to play right back? And throughout that, we didn't mention Ronnie Hernandez once. Now he's had a very interesting last few weeks, hasn't he? He's gone from having never played a minute to Atlanta. Uh, he was at Copa America, where he um, he didn't start for Venezuela in the first couple of games, but uh, came off the bench, scored, playing, I think, from either left wing back or left midfield, scored a late equaliser for them, has come back from the Copa America and has played the last two Atlanta United games, started them, uh, and, and scored for them the other day. Again, from left back, possibly left wing back. We were pretty adamant we wouldn't see him back when he left here, because that was under Derek McInnes. Do you think there's, and I think the assumption was 
he would be going on a permanent move when the window opened. As it transpired, he, he just went on a loan move. Now, under Stephen Glass, do you think there's any chance he's coming back? Uh, no, I, don't, I, I can't see it, to be honest. Um, well, why then didn't they make the move permanent at the time? Well, that's, that's, that, is a, that is an interesting question. You would like to think that if he's over there and he's going to be, you know, he's not coming back, then Atlanta would get us paid for him because there's obviously a fee good enough to be involved. I think most of us are just resigned to the fact that you no, know, he came here for whatever reason. You no, know, obviously we've spoken about it so often about his personal things like that. You know, it, it maybe didn't. It wasn't working for him just within with the environment in terms of COVID and all that. And he's gone over there, and he's probably probably going to be happier over there. There's going to be podcasts and articles written down the years about you no know, what this weird this weird transfer that Aberdeen got involved in. Weirdly, you know, um, he's played he's played for Atlanta and Kanye West in the crowd. So. Um, <laughs> That was a weird. So I'm going to take that by proxy that Kanye West is now an Aberdeen fan as well. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Mm, I can think about it. <laughs> I, I, did, I, I wouldn't put you down as a Kanye West fan, to be honest, Richard. Loving the content on Twitter. If, if you, a, a couple of people came up with, can't believe Kanye West has seen Rory Hernandez play more than I have. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a very fine evening in in the end, Mark. But that first fifteen twenty minutes. Don't know about you, um, but I, I I thought we were in for a very long evening. It was a bit of a ropey start, wasn't it? And maybe I don't know. Maybe maybe the occasion kind of got to the team a little bit. You know, the fans were there; they were they were quite loud. You know, maybe there was a bit of a shock to the system after sixty months of like closed door games. I don't know, but um, yeah, we didn't start too brightly. I thought I thought Hacking looked pretty good. They were going forward. They were definitely causing us trouble in the first kind of ten fifteen minutes. Um, but not so much after that, I don't think. But um, yeah, definitely in the opening phase, they were causing us problems. So again, that opening 15, 20 minutes, Martin, I really thought that um, we were inheriting another issue that we had for a lot of last season. Because last season, under Derek McInnes as well, we tried to play a, a sort of possession-based game. But we were, we were starting off far too deep. Our back three were far too deep, meaning our wing backs were much deeper than they should be in order to, to start attacking moves. And it was really the root cause of our lack of ability to get any sort of attacking game going last season. And for the first 15, 20 minutes on Thursday, it was the same again. You had Scott Brown coming so, so deep to pick up the ball, trying to force things. It was um, the root cause of Brown giving the ball away very, very cheaply and Hecken nearly getting the uh, opener. But after that 20 minutes, there was a sea change. We were able to get the centre-halves up the pitch, we were able to get Scott Brown up the pitch and our starting positions were much, much higher and I think that's really key, again, to how we need to be playing. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I, I, I wasn't I wasn't too concerned. I mean, I suppose it's easy with the benefit of hindsight now that we we know we won the game five one. But I think there's always going to be an element. You had a team in Hacken, who, and obviously you guys had covered this already pretty well. Obviously your your, your conversation with Linus um, that you know you're you've got a team that's you know a good chunk of the way through its season. They've just come off a, a few consecutive wins, whereas Aberdeen have had probably. And, and by no fault of their own, obviously, one of the most, you know, um, uh, la- lacking in pre- pre- preparedness pre-seasons that you could possibly have, basically a couple of bounce games under closed doors and then another couple of games that got cancelled. So I think it was going to be inevitable that, you know, the first period of the game was basically just going to be, you know, the team and, and, and teammates, 
you know, get get it used to being on the park in a genuine competitive match and uh okay for ten, fifteen minutes they, they really struggle to um impose themselves on the game in the way that they wanted to, but as as the game as the game drew on, it you know, I think I think once they basically got confidence in what they were supposed to be doing and, and in each other, um, as the game as the game wore on, I think we were able to kind of more di- dictate the play. They got they got on the ball more. They were able to dictate more of more of the play, and as a consequence, you know, it's one of those kind of virtuous circles. The more you're getting into the game, the more the more you have the confidence to kind of push your opponents um, back. And by the middle of the first half, I think we were the the better team on the park, and you know, it just it just improved from there. The 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 most encouraging thing for me yesterday, so you know, showing. You know the spirit, the determination to, you know, get ourselves in the game after a slow start. And as I say, it could have gone. Obviously, if we'd perhaps lost the first goal, it could have been a different story. But we we, we didn't. We we managed to get in front. And and by the time we we're a couple of goals up, goals up, it was it was looking really good. But the I think you know most people would probably say this: the big the biggest the biggest difference that we saw from certainly in the tail end in the McInnes era. Um, once we're two 0 up, you know the team continued to press. They continued to dominate the game and. Exactly as you said, Richard. We were starting starting to get ten, twenty meters further up the pitch, and um, uh, again, I think it was somebody else who commented on this in social media. But like the, the, the epitome of where that team's mentality is was at four-one up, where the, the ball's in the goalkeeper's hands, basically, basically in a situation where you could have run that out into injury time, and, and instead we're, we're we're pushing forward again, trying to get another goal, and, and we were duly rewarded. So, um, no, I think it was n- nothing further than teething problems. I would have thought from the first kind of opening 15-20 minutes today, the the, the 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 bigger test might well be once we once we you know in, encounter kind of some of the, the 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 bigger names later on in the competition um, and and domestically as well. Once you have teams who you know. Will will likely want to impose their game on us. We'll 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 see, we'll see how we go out well it runs for us then. But but right now it's really encouraging. Mark, one of the bigger eyebrow raisers in the team sheet um, on Thursday night was Fonjo Ojo's um, inclusion, but he did well. Uh, Martin and I have already spoken about that in a debrief. What I'd like to discuss though is that the two big chances fell his way in the opening twenty minutes once we finally got a grip on the game. If he is going to be playing that high, we need he needs to be, become a bit more reliable in front of goals, isn't he? Because playing that far at the pitch, you are going to be presented with opportunities. Yeah, I think he, he probably just needs a bit of game time in that position. You know, it's not it's not a position that McInnes played him in. I'm not sure where he played when he was um when he was out on loan. Um but he definitely was in the positions. He looked he looked rejuvenated. You know, I don't know whether like glasses told him how much faith he has in him, you know, like it was maybe players love to be loved, don't they? And it didn't feel like he was feeling loved when he was uh, last year. So I think I think with game time and a little bit more composure, um, I think the goals will come for Ojo. Um, he's not a prolific goal scorer either. So the fact that he was in the positions, um, glass half full kind of um, analogy, but um, shows that he's he's. He's capable, I suppose, you know. I guess my point here, uh, Martin Clunas, is that, you know, should we be persevering with him there after what was a a pretty impressive all-round display? Or are we still looking for somebody that's probably better suited to that particular role if that's the way that he wants to play going forward? Well, I think he's. I think he's probably going to. He's probably played himself in it at least. At least playing in that place on on Thursday, 
do you want do you want to bring in someone someone better a better player perhaps then you know obviously you want to kind of you want to improve the squad as much as you can um you know he was he was impressive he did really well it's the best probably the best we've seen him play i mean that's not saying very much i know he did really well this might be you no know, this might be what he's what he's really good at um you know we just didn't get to see it in his time time under Derek McInnes you know had the obviously the the red card um in the european game and it just he just never seemed to get going but I think he's always been a defensive midfielder. He's always, at his previous clubs, played in that role, and that's what he was bought to do. It's just that with Scott Brown there, there was no chance he's keeping Scott Brown out of the team, is there? It, it might just be that it's a little bit of the old square pegs and round holes thing, um, and he's just using the using the bodies got bodies that he's got available. We're overloaded a bit in uh, what you would class as defensive midfielders, I suppose. Yeah. Um, in that area, so. You got someone like Ojo if he's going to get game time, um, and I could say that Ojo and perhaps even someone like someone like McGeek as well. No, they're going to have to maybe adapt if they want to get more get more game time. Brown's a captain; he's a, he's a nailed on starter. If he's still here, Lewis Ferguson is a nailed on starter. So if you if you want to be want to be playing games, you're going to have to adapt a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of the point I'm I'm driving at, Martin Ingram. It's um, you know the fact is that. Uh, Ojo had, by all accounts, a successful loan period at Wigan. Um, Wigan themselves and probably other clubs in that league would be aware of that and possibly aware that he, he might be available. So, you know, the question is, do, do we stick with a guy who did, who did pretty well on Thursday night, but, you know, we know isn't necessarily suited to that role further up the pitch? Or do we try and do some business there? Yeah, I, I can't imagine that the long term, uh, Decision from Stephen Glass is he's going to be playing Funzo Ojo at least that at least that far up the park. I I think ultimately we'll be looking to do business for him in the summer. But it but it also probably depends on what's happening. You know the 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 elephant in the room here is what's going to happen with Lewis Ferguson by the end of the transfer window. Um, I I don't have any. I mean of of the group of midfielders that we've just been discussing, I would have thought the the, the player who would suit the, the 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 role of being you know the, the the most attacking midfielder of that group would be Lewis Ferguson. I think he's clearly the best midfielder that we have at the club, um, and we, we we saw last week the the threat he carries when he's effectively given a license to get 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 on the ball and go forward. You know, hit the post early on, scored that screamer of a twenty five yarder later on in the game. Um, so I think that would be what he be what 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 Glass would be looking at longer term if if Lewis Ferguson staying at the club now I, I would I would I would I would hope you know he's still on a long contract with Aberdeen and um, although it, it you still get the vibes that you know Lewis Ferguson may well be less happy staying at Aberdeen if there are Premier League level teams coming in for him they'll certainly need to be bidding a hell of a lot more money than what they're currently doing at the moment but. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, before before you can make decisions on, you know, the likes of Ojo, whether they stay or not, you need you need to know who's who else is staying at the club beforehand, and I think that would be a really key one. I I, I just I just thought that Ojo being in that role was again trying to kind of fit a group of defensive minded midfielders into the same system, and I think, you know, on, on the one hand, I was thinking it's likely he's only played because. Um, Declan Gallagher hasn't been available to play at centre half, so I, I was thinking long, long term you'd have Ross McCrory coming forward and playing midfield. But of course, he's he's a defensive midfielder as well, or at least you know more more of a defensive minded midfielder than others as well. So I think that's going to be 
that's going to be continually the, the 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 issue going forward. And, may, and and maybe that's just how it will need to be. Is that our two two to three players in the middle of the park will be those kind of you know um, defensive minded players, and one of the three of them, you know, whoever whoever's most able to perform the function of being the, the furthest forward at three will will have to do that and then as we discussed beforehand what, what we'll then be looking for from our creativity will be a combination of you know right ryan hedges in a more conventional maybe number 10 role and then you know relying on our fullbacks getting forward and providing that width so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how that works out yeah because frankly it's uh mark it, it's probably the sort of role that uh it should have been ideal for matty kennedy but he seems to be he was on the bench admittedly um so he's not that far at the picture but um he's certainly in the second rung right now he is and it's it's a shame you know we're expecting good things with matty kennedy and again it's, it's similar to the the ojo um chat that uh that I said, it's, they need games. They need they need game time. But definitely, I think like on paper, you'd have Kennedy up front or further forward than someone like Ojo. Um, and I think Martin, Martin there made a good point. You know, like if if Gallagher's available, he takes up the position of McCrory. McCrory then kind of goes into the midfield, and Ojo probably doesn't start. Um, it, I mean, it's kind of a good problem to have that we've got players that are interchangeable and they can move about a little bit. Um, but yeah, you would think. You would think Matty Kennedy would have been the, the starter there. I also noted that um, Miko Vertonen didn't even make the uh, 22 as it was on Thursday. So I, I kind of feel, unless he's carrying an injury we don't know about, I kind of feel that his time here uh, looks like it might be up. That first goal, very important one. You know, a, a very emotional one in the stadium. After the match, Stephen Glass praising Alan Russell for the work he's done on the set pieces. Um <laughs> Alan's probably not had uh, the summer that he expected to have, um, but we have invested heavily in the coaching front. Um, maybe people are a bit upset that there hasn't been more business on the pitch. In terms of the coaching staff, Alan Russell was a big investment. You know, obviously, we brought in an additional coach in Henry Apuro from uh, Atlanta. This is the sort of thing where Russell's going to earn his corn, isn't it? Set-piece work, striker movement... Well, firstly, I mean, on the set piece thing, I mean, you know, it's probably the last, do I say the last two years, we you know, not just us, everybody's been whining about the quality of the set pieces because they really have, for the, for the a large part, been atrocious. For the first goal to come from come from a set piece, it's almost <laughs> it's almost like in The Wizard of Oz when you step into the colour. You can, you can see what, no, everything everything's brighter now. Ramsey's on the set pieces. Um, like I said when we did the debrief on Thursday, delighted it was Considine that got the goal. It looks just not just the set pieces. So throughout the game, it certainly looks like um, the way that uh, Ramirez and J. Emmanuel Thomas are working together. Obviously, it's the first time we've seen those two, so you know, it, it is possibly hard to tell. But just having forwards that look a bit more mobile and getting into getting into good positions, it looks like Russell's already is having a huge effect, um, and that's with you know. That's with the minimal, had not, not a lot of time, not a lot of proper game time to have them working together. If that, if that, that's the kind of thing that we can get in the first game out of him um, when he's working with these guys. When when he's actually got you know some proper proper sessions, some proper competitive football under their belts, um, can you can get a proper look at some of the other teams as well in the way that it's hard to get for us to gauge about Aberdeen. It's probably hard for Alan Russell and Stephen Glass and the rest of them to gauge about Dundee United or Ross County or these teams because they've not really played much proper competitive football either. Um, so I think once once you can get a look at these other teams, 
um, it could, things things can only can only get better, and it's it's looking positive right from the start. Important to keep the foot down uh, on Thursday has already been noted. Hacken did look unsettled and struggled to deal with our pressure at the park for the whole evening, basically. One of the many failures of the last couple of seasons has been struggling to put the ball in the net when we've been on top in games. Now, the second goal was a penalty kick, but again, just that the fact that after the first, kept on it, start the second half, kept on it again. Scorer of the third goal, Mark, Lewis Ferguson. Martin's already touched on it. What do you reckon? Do you think he'll be here uh, come 31st of August? Who knows? You know, I know, I know you're wanting me to elaborate, but yeah, I, I really would. Yeah, yeah, you want me to elaborate? Okay. Um, I mean, I don't know. He's on a long contract. Um, he seemed happy here until the um, until the break in the season, and then there's some paper talk. I don't know if it's maybe slightly more. You know, there's bids from what Watford, West Ham, that sort of thing. Um, I think if a sizable amount comes in. We'll sell him. It's, it's a no-brainer, I think. Like If the player wants to go and play in the Premier League um, and a bid comes in from a Premier League club that matches our valuation, he'll be gone. Just as simple as that. Martin Ingram, what does the transfer request mean these days? Because we, we went through this with Scott McKenna and he basically then ended up staying for another 12, min- uh, 12 months before getting sold. What does it actually signify these days? Because the guy's got, still got three years left in his contract. The club surely has as much power as they'll ever have. It signifies less the longer the contract is that you have in place. But as as Mark said beforehand, obviously if somebody comes in with a breathtaking offer, then I think I think the club would need to take that seriously but I think it would need to be a breathtaking offer I mean if if we were talking in the region of you know the I think at one point the, the, the talk around about when Scott McKenna was going to leave was around about the five million mark and that would be that would be the minimum starting point for a guy like Lewis Ferguson who's you know you're already gathering interest from Premier League clubs which indicates you, you you've seen the level you know the amount the amount of money that Premier League clubs will throw at uh you know even even you know medi- mediocre players and and Lewis Ferguson's definitely not that and I've always been adamant myself if we have a player on a long term contract I would you know regardless of whether they're 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 wanting to leave or not I'd rather we're keeping them at the club and getting getting the use of them because what 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 are we what are we supporting the club for what 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 are people in the club for I think if you ask people you know what what you want to see is your team doing well. You know, being in the running to win trophies, and and to do that, you want to have the best players possible. Now, we are never, you know, we're never going to be in a position where we're going to be able to go out and buy the caliber of a player that Lewis Ferguson is now. So, when you have them in your ranks, if you're if you're serious about, you know, challenging the likes of Celtic and Rangers next season and and, and being in the mix for silverware, uh, you've got a far better chance of doing that with. A player of the caliber of Lewis Ferguson in your team, and then building around that, then then selling him because even even for that kind of money, you, you'll never you'll never be able to recoup that ability of player for that amount of money. Um, that that then that's a different conversation. Say you know two years, eighteen months from um, uh, the end of their contract, but I I think it's very similar to the Scott McKenna situation. Um, 
Lewis may well want to leave, but unless there's been, of course, we, we, we never know, unless there's been a kind of a, a behind-closed-doors nudging-a-wink agreement whereby they said, look, if a, if, a, if a club of a certain stature comes in for a certain amount of money, we, we agree to let you go. But obviously we, we will likely not, never know if there's something of that nature of an agreement in place. Um, that certainly seems to be what his uh, uh, agent has suggested previously, although, again, I think he's a, for, 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 the, for the older amongst us, he's a, he's a, he's a um, he's a well-known person in the footballing circles. They wouldn't necessarily take what he says as, uh, as, as, as a guarantee of the truth. But um, no, I, I think for the meantime, um, he's, for me, certainly without question, the best player at the club at the moment. And if you've got serious ambitions to do something this season, you keep him in team. Yeah, there was some remarkable whinging uh, came out from his agent in the aftermath of um, that transfer request. It, it just seemed such a toys at the prime moment and, and not so much from, from Lewis himself but you know obviously his agent I mean uh, again if um, unless you've got something in writing that um, we're just going to accept any bid from a any premiership team then you know he's going to stay of course he's going to stay so um, I think the most chat post-match has been about the irrepressible uh, front duo the uh, People are bringing all the levels of enthusiasm to Pataudry right now. Mark, the, um, the pairing of Gio Emmanuel Thomas and uh, Christian Ramirez, we, it got its first outing on Thursday and um, it did pretty well. Yeah, I quite liked what I saw. I thought uh, Ramirez done a lot, of, a lot of hard work, a lot of running, a lot of holding up of the ball. I thought Gio uh, Emmanuel Thomas's feet were amazing. You know, there's always kind of like... That um, that story that big, tall, bulky players don't have any skill. But some of his touches, I, I love that he was gliding past some players at, at, at points. Um, it would have been amazing for Thomas to get a goal. But, you know, it wasn't to be. Ramirez got one near the end. Um, I think I could have probably scored it. But I wouldn't have been able to do all the running he had done before getting that goal. Um, and for your number nine to score in debut, is it's, it's always good. It's always great, isn't it? I think that was one of the only questions I got right when we done that quiz thing, actually, about um, some number nine or scorers on debuts. So, like, Ramirez is a new one to add to the list here. But, yeah, I was impressed with him. Um, I think their personality goes a long way as well, definitely in, in social media, with fans kind of wanting a little piece of a, a player and just to kind of see the personality behind them. So if they're they're bringing that to the to the dressing room as well, it's kind of given everyone a lift, hasn't it? Indeed, indeed. Um, it's funny you should mention the quiz, obviously, Martin, um, one of the winners that evening. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> like, like, I'm just, it was all Michael Grant's fault that you finished Mike, last. Michael Grant and I had conversations after this and we were sure that the questions were heavily in the other's favour. <laughs> I can well imagine that being the sort of level of bitterness to which you two aspire to. <laughs> oh, man, honestly, I, I'll, I'll take screenshots and send them to you. Like it's, it's vital stuff aimed at you guys. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it against um, Mark. Well, of course. <laughs> the other debutante, uh, Martin Ingram, in the middle of the pitch. Um, how do you think he did? I think this is the only reason you invited me on this podcast, isn't it? Because uh, you're. <laughs> Hoping to get a tirade out of out of myself in this regard. No, um, in 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 terms of Scott Brown, if we're if we're talking about objectively the performance, um, he brought 
you know what I think most people would have been hoping and expecting from that. Um, there's 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 no doubt he's at his knowledge, his experience. Um, he he. He, it, is, it is not his first European competition. Um, I will give kudos to whoever came up with that. Um, the, the the banner at the game, the the nice European upgrade one. That that was fantastic. Um, it was incredible to think. It's, you know, for for all that Celtics achieved um, over the last kind of decade or so, and there were still so many people that were upset on, on social media about us daring to suggest that um, we were a better European team. But you know. My math isn't great, but two still beats one, as far as, I, as, far as I'm aware. Um, but you know, I, 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 I wouldn't go over the top with regards to that. I said beforehand, I think the best midfielder in the team is Lewis Ferguson. I thought he was the best. I thought he was the best player on the park on the day. But what you do get from Scott Brown is, I think the best phrase would be the steady, steady hand on the tiller. Um, he effectively kind of you know takes that position in front and the back four um, at, at, at the beginning of the kind of build up of any play um, is able to direct traffic and you know um, definitely brings a, a leadership and authority to that position so we've got you know, no, no issues in that regard um, how, how that will fare going forward um, I don't know the, there was a good I think you're I can't remember if it was your debrief podcast, but I thought it was, a, it was actually a very good uh, comparison with what Graham Shinney did at the club. But I don't think Scott Brown may have the kind of legs that Graham Shinney had at the time that he was playing with us. Um, he certainly has the the one ability that Graham Shinney never had, was, which is the inability to get a yellow card in the first 10 to 15 minutes of a game. And that, that will certainly help. And for, for all that, you know, when Scott Brown was in the opposition team, um, we would have you know, moan to high heavens about the fact that, you know, the kind of cloak and visibility stuff and, you know, you can go go around and do anything you want and not get booked. But, um, you know, the the, the the environment of Scottish football is what it is. That, that's not going to change anytime soon. And, and if, if he manages to maintain that level of reputation within the game where, you know, he, 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 he can, you know, do what he pleases in the pitch, then that can that can only be a benefit to ourselves. Um I also wanted to put on record again. I, 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 I was I, I, I chipped in about the fact that I wasn't. I, I was disappointed, and I still am. I was disappointed about the fact that uh, Scott Brown was made the team captain for the season going forward. I do. Uh, I, I, I genuinely won't go on about it, but um, you know, I, I thought there was an opportunity when he came to the club that we, you know, we, we could have kind of addressed that that other elephant in the room, you know, and um, you know. Maybe could have used it as a as a as a learning experience all around. In effect, we just addressed it and got it out of the way, and unfortunately, never happened that way. Um, but um, that is not to say uh, I am a I am a big respecter, and, and in fact, probably a bigger respecter than a lot of people who suddenly are very big respecter for Scott Brown as a player. Um, I'll, I'll need to go and hunt it out, but I, I did a tweet of you know what I would say was like the best Scotland team I've seen with my own two eyes in, 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 you know, over 20 years of watching Scotland. And I think I picked Scott Brown in that team. You know, I don't think there's any doubt that um, certainly in his pomp, he's one of the best players in Scottish football and you'll still bring a lot to the, the club going forward. So um, uh, I will take the advice of uh, fellow Twitter users. I will shut up about it and move on and uh, we'll, all, all, all the best for him going forward. Yeah, but that's not the way it should be, is it? I, I, I really dislike uh, Martin Clunas, this, this argument that it, it has to be an all-or-nothing thing. You know, you have to wholeheartedly be behind a player on every aspect of, um, you know, now he's an Aberdeen player. Whereas, you know, a lot of us are probably still reconciling ourselves to the fact that 
here as a guy with all the history, he's now here playing for our club. I think you know we can accept and we can we can divorce what he does in the playing field a little bit from how he is as a person. But that doesn't mean that you know we have to completely ignore what's gone on in the past. No, it doesn't. Uh, and you know, some of the you know, there is a lot of you know, people who, as um, as Martin alluded to, there suddenly became really big, really big fans of his. Um, you know, you can you can respect you can respect what he's done in the past, respect his abilities, but you can still have a problem with how we you know how he acted in that situation. And you know, not to kind of, not to go too deep into about rehashing old ground, but you know, I think we you know. We've all spoken about it before. We're all we were all unhappy about you know, when he was announced and when he when there was nothing said. It would have been a bit of a palate cleanser if he came out and just said something, got it out of the way, and we could have all just moved on. I mean, look, you don't have to. I know this. You know, I know. I know how you feel about the phrase Richard. So this is why I'll bring it up. You know, this whole once a dawn, always a dawn thing. Well, does that apply to a piece of shit like David Goodwillie? Of course, it doesn't. You don't have to. You don't have to love everybody that plays for Aberdeen, and you don't have to. You don't have to support them. You don't have to like everybody that plays in the in the red shirt on a Saturday afternoon. No, he's here now. Of course, we're going to. Of course, we're going to. You know, want him to do well. But in terms of, you know, am I going to be? Am I going to be going throwing street parties and you know, getting brownie on the back of an Aberdeen top? Probably not. Positives from Thursday, above and beyond anything that happened in terms of the scoreline or in terms of the team performance mark, were, was obviously the fact that five and a half thousand, well, as we now find out, about 5,100 people were inside Pataudry last Thursday, the first time in 16 months, other than the 300 who were made it in to see the game against Kilmarnock last year. It was always going to be, Mark, I think a bit of a, a, bit of a celebration Especially if the performance on the park was halfway decent. How did you find it? I loved it. I mean, like, we were going home again, weren't we, you know? Like, for the last 16 months or something, it's always been about the, the, the chat's just been the new normal, you know, the, the socially distancing, two metres, one metre, face masks, whatever, you know? But this was a return to the old normal, I think. So, like, for me, like I met my dad, met my brother, we went for pints, we went to Pataudry, and that's just kind of where we left off 16 months ago. Um, so yeah, just just being back was brilliant. The performance just was the icing on the cake. Um, I'd be lying, like I, I think a lot of people were beginning to lose interest in the football, um, and myself included, which might sound a bit weird. But absolutely, when you're sitting at home, watching on an iPad, in the kitchen, you kind of drift away, and definitely with with nil nils and things like that. But the fact we scored five, and I think I don't know, it might have even been one of you guys that tweeted it, but something along the lines of that we've scored more goals in this game than we had in the previous ten games, previous eleven games or something. So that that definitely just heightened everyone's emotion. I think the fact that we're there, we could celebrate goals. We celebrated five of them. Yeah, yeah, loved it. It was great to be back. Bring on United. And did it feel normal? I mean, as normal as a diluted version of normal could be, I suppose. You know, like, like I, I was sat with the three people. There was, like, nobody immediately beside me. The whole, like, not, I don't know, no kiosks. You know, there, like, it didn't, it wasn't normal. It was definitely different and definitely a diluted experience. But it was great to get back even for that diluted experience. Uh, Martin Cleaners, the... Um, we spoke at the, the connection, the bond. Uh, it, it has been broken, whether that be a combination, obviously, of the of being out of the ground, 
or indeed the team performances. It was quite smart, wasn't it, of uh, of the captain to to make sure that um, the team just didn't just wander off in the direction of the dressing room. He actually took them around the, the three stands and made sure that um, they got the round of applause that was waiting for them, which to my mind was probably the most emotional part of the whole evening. Um, you know, shirts were, were handed over to youngsters as well, which is obviously great to see and a moment that they'll never forget. It, it was just, it was quite smart, wasn't it? I mean, the, pl- the players probably wouldn't need to be told, but I mean, I would imagine that the manager and even probably from higher up than the manager, I would imagine that even the chairman's probably had a, had a word with them. I know, you know, the fans obviously last season, you know, we thought we would get in at some point. We didn't get in at all. Um, you know, a lot of people back the club, bought season tickets, going round, letting letting the letting fans know that you're they're appreciated was a really was a really smart move. Yeah, and you know it builds that like I say, it builds that bond that had been that as you say had been broken. Um, and I think it's I think it's a combination of both things. I think it was obviously the football last season and not being able to get in. You know, you, you just don't have that bond when you can you know you can slope into the house at two minutes to three. And just fire up, fire up the laptop or the iPad or something, or just you can sit because you, you end up thinking, oh, "Do I need to watch? Do I need to watch us against Ross against Ross County or Livingston when we're not playing well?" And uh, I could maybe go do something else. One thing as well, you were obviously when you asked Mark there about the experience going in. What I did think was um, was good was it was nice not to be made to feel like a criminal because I had a Capri Sun in my pocket going into the stadium this time. Um, that was nice as well. Um, usually, usually the patting down and the the dirty looks from the stewards are are pretty are pretty accusing. All right. Well, you know, frankly, looking at you, I can understand why you get signal, <laughs> singled out for special treatment uh, you. as you go through the gates. But we've we've more or less come out the other side of this uh, Martin Ingram um, with. There's about 8,000 season ticket holders. It's probably roughly where we were for last season, which, frankly, in so many respects, is incredible that we've sold that many for last season, given the uncertainty. But certainly it's down from the peak of a couple of years ago, where they tipped over 10,000, I think. So, you know, how are we going to go about increasing the fan base? I, I don't see that this kind of idea of 10% off or 10% in ticket cash if we sell an extra 1,000 is suddenly magically going to produce an extra 1,000 referrals. Are we just relying on a successful team and word of mouth? Or, you know, what sort of things do you think the club can think about doing that they're not already doing? Yeah, I, I, I think for, for all the innovations that you may well be able to come up with or not, nothing will help generate um, or, or, or increase that fan base more than what you saw last Thursday night. I think that's the, the the bottom line is if you've got a team that's not only winning but is playing entertaining football and scoring goals while doing it, that that will bring people back. And in fact, even uh, funnily enough, it was just earlier today I saw someone just posted a message earlier today saying exactly that. Watch watch the game, you know, from from the laptop the day before, and it encouraged them to go and sign up and get their season ticket again for the season. So, um, and and I think that's it. it you know, these things often do just go in, you know, cycles. Um, I think it was very similar from the kind of period in time from maybe the kind of tail end to say of Jimmy Calderwood's season through the kind of the, the, the few seasons that we were really struggling. It's incredibly difficult to encourage people to go go and watch the football in at at, at, at a time when, you know, you're you're not guaranteed to be getting that entertainment value and 
you know, when you're talking about, I mean, for increasing the fan base, it's a, it's a big enough ask if you're trying to get somebody who may not be interested in, who wouldn't ordinarily be interested in going to the game to part, you know, what's still 20 plus pounds in order to, you know, just go to one game. And it's, it's another ask when you're then asking to put several hundred pounds down on a season ticket. And especially given the circumstance, and of course, this is, this is obviously no fault of the clubs at all, but, you know, the, 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 the COVID, the COVID season that we've just had was an, an incredibly testing set of circumstances to put supporters through where you're paying an awful lot of money for the privilege of a season ticket and there is just no way that a club can can sell anybody on the fact that that is anywhere near the value of what you'd be expecting to do to be able to go to the games and uh, and and see it live as opposed to as I say just being on a you know um, you know the, the 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 red TV coverage could be as good as possible, and it, it wasn't as good as possible last season. I think, and, and I see a lot of people are a bit, a bit more encouraged from what 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 they got um, from the the viewing experience this time around. But um, um, I think there'll be a certain group. You know, the, the the vast majority of the people that have season tickets are the people who have always had season tickets and and will likely continue to get season tickets regardless of how things are going. And you know. Um, all power to them for doing that. That that is always going to be the backbone of any sport for any club. Um, but um, the the offing of people having not been to the football in person for you know at least eighteen months, probably in most cases, seeing a team that is not only potentially successful but is also entertaining to watch in doing that. And I think that was by far the 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 the, the most damning aspect of the tail end of Derek McInnes' uh, period. Not so much, or, or I mean partly, but partly that that was a team that was stagnating in terms of performances for a few years, but but was significantly deteriorating in terms of the entertainment level in the park. Um, if you get if you get that turned round, then you know um, I think that that latent there is a latent large Aberdeen support which is just waiting to be given a team that they feel they can get behind and you'll and you'll remember from even like the Ebby Scovdale teams, they don't always necessarily even have to be good teams, but if you go if you go to a game and expect that you're gonna get entertainment, then I think that will bring people back. And and, and in terms of like other initiatives in relation to what you know, something like, you know, um to be to be constructive with the what 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 Aberdeen's doing, even 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 with significantly reduced six uh spectators last week you could tell how how good an experience is likely going to be. Anybody who wants to be in the red shed for significant games going forward, I think that's going to be a fantastic atmosphere at the Merkland end. Um, and so maybe a bit more kind of more of a targeted look at how we're, you know, or, or or maybe just a complete you know refresh in relation to how we're looking at where we accommodate fans throughout the rest of the ground in order to maximise that experience would be great as well. Mark, it's been uh, long trailed by the chairman that uh, he wants us to move to a member system um, I think uh, subtly our season ticket holders will have noted that we are season ticket members uh, rather than just season ticket holders uh, this season um, just before we came on air quite interesting I saw an exchange involving Cormac and um, the supporter liaison officer whose name escapes me sorry this is not a podcast that will ever be on first name terms with the SLO um, and it was obviously someone who was linked to I think FC Copenhagen who operate um, a sort of subscription model by the sounds of it which uh, you know rather than paying your season ticket in one full whack up front or even taking advantage of any interest free loan systems you know they pay whatever it is 10 euros 16 euros whatever a month for their membership that allows them to get into the ground 
his argument seemed to be that it would be a definite winner as who stops supporting their side. The thing is, though, we've seen plenty of evidence of people threatening to stop DNA subs because they don't like the way the team's playing, that signing, this signing, who the manager is, etc, etc, etc. Isn't it naive to think that that sort of subscription model wouldn't be open to being weaponized? Yeah, I suppose it is possible, isn't it? But it's the same, the same as it ever was, though. I'm fucking new going back. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's exactly that. Like I'm not going to buy a ticket to the next game. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm not. I'm not going to pay my DNA. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Um, it could definitely be weaponized, but I think I think it's worth. It's worth exploring. It's worth investigating. I think it's definitely an option. I think I saw that tweet as well. And the conversation kind of went along the lines of, you know, like you, you pay a subscription for your TV services, you, you pay up your car, you do this sort of thing, you do that, you know, like, or you can do those things. So why not do it with, with the club? Um, it definitely could be weaponized, but then that's up to the, the, the players, the manager, the, the chairman, the board, everything to make sure everything on the pitch is as good as it can be. Then you, then you minimize the, the chance of that to be as you say, weaponized. Um, yeah, you kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. I think if you've got a winning team on the pitch, winning more than not is how I define that, not necessarily winning trophies, which is what we ultimately want. But um, playing entertaining football, winning more games than, than you're not, then I don't think there's really much to, to weaponize there. I, subscriptions would have fallen like after Christmas, 2020, like without a doubt, that it would have been weaponized then. But now is maybe the time to do it. In fact, you're, you're maybe even too late to do it now. The season started. Like the time to have done this or to explore it and to um, put it out there was probably the close season. But now with a kind of with a feel good factor around Pataudry, and I realise it's only one game. But now is maybe the you know strike while iron hot. Get that subscription out there now and, and see if people can do it. it. It's unprecedented times as well, and that's an overused phrase at present too but like why not you know like two years ago nobody thought they'd be working from home the majority of the time nobody thought they'd be doing this nobody thought they'd be doing that things have all things have changed like this has been like a, a circuit breaker and how businesses run um why not take the opportunity and go and do it do you know if any other scotch teams do similar initiatives well nothing directly linked to being able to access the ground no i mean obviously you've got the foundation of hearts thing uh, as well and you know frankly I've, I've seen plenty of hearts fans in their forums talk about you know i'm going to stop my foundation subs because i don't agree with robbie nielsen or craig levine or whoever the hell it is i mean you can um, blame them but well quite um I, I there's always a leap of faith isn't there martin cleaners about buying a season ticket in a lot of respects Apart from us poor, misguided souls who are just tied into it and can't do anything but feed our addiction year on year, regardless of how crap the product on the pitch gets. There's there's going to be an element of, you know, if not now, when? Because, you know, we are we do have an end in sight to this lockout. 5,500 last Thursday, potentially a little bit more for Dundee United. And after that... As things stand, touching every available wood source near me, it seems like we might be back to uncapped crowds. So th there is a kind of, if not now, when? And there is that thought that 
people who have been moaning currently about, oh, it's too expensive, etc. If the club look to change, if the club look to bring those prices down, it'll just be something else that they moan about and choose not to, to get their ticket with, isn't there? Because there's no evidence whatsoever that the demand for Bittordry is price elastic, by which I mean if you were at half the cost of the tickets, you would not double the crowd. I obviously saw those tweets earlier with the subscription thing firstly and I did I do think it's quite interesting. I mean look, it's a sort of thing that you would you would assume if they were to bring it in, it wouldn't be a case of you know, you would be able to stop after three months or whatever. You would assume that it would be it would be the same as having a season ticket. You would just pay, you know, divided over however many nine months, ten months, whatever the season is. Um you know, or potentially over the summer summer as well. So I think it would be, you know, in, the, in the way that, you know, your mobile phone or whatever has a minimum a minimum con- minimum term contract, you would imagine that, the you know, a, a membership su- subscription service for Aberdeen Football Club to get into the games um, would have a 12-month, you know, minimum minimum term or something. Um, and then when, you know, you would just, it would just keep rolling over with every new season. I mean, I think it's, inter- it's interesting. I mean, yeah, like, We've, we've 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 spoken about this so many times before as well. It's been a conversation for years about it being too expensive, and the truth is, it is quite expensive. You know, it is quite expensive to, if you just want to turn up um, and come to the game. Um, or no, if you decide, you know, if you obviously if you're on the database, obviously, where the where the club has to try and try and get people, you no, know, get people on side. And there's there I mean, there's so many things they can do. I mean, obviously, one of the things that went kind of viral among Aberdeen fans in the past few days was the tweet from Mez. Um, where he spoke about the the under eighteen season ticket for the Redshed is is ninety quid. Uh, now ninety quid's a lot of money for for I know for somebody who's seventeen years old and probably just in their first job and probably maybe just earning just over a minimum wage. Um, if you had a subscription service, that makes it a little bit easier for them to afford that. Um, getting some, getting, un, getting under eighteens into the Redshed is you know it sounds stupid to say it, but those type of guys are you know, the the future. Of of you know, the Aberdeen support, you know, you, Richard, Richard, I'm I'm forty. You're you're a bit older than me. You know, we're all kind of we're all kind of know. A lot of us are getting on a bit. You know, there's a there is a, a quite an aging kind of side to the Aberdeen support, and we need to try and get younger guys in who maybe haven't been going. You know, they've maybe been playing you know playing amateurs or whatever, or you know look at or playing school football, and now they're maybe hopefully maybe looking for something different, and that's something really that. I would like to think that the club would push, or they would show people that you know, ninety quid to get into for an under eighteen to get in for a season is really good. That's the sort of people you should be appealing to. There's lots of other things I think they can do. It sounds stupid, right? But things like Ramirez and J. Emmanuel Thomas, Thomas being like so vocal on social media—that's the sort of thing that engages young folk. The young folk will see that, and they'll be, no, and if, couple, if you couple that with entertaining football, the team's winning. The players, the players are on social media. When last did we have a player that was on Snapchat? You know, and, and we've got you've got um, Thomas teasing that he's going to reveal the kit tomorrow at half past nine on his Snapchat account. No, it sounds silly. You know, and it, and it won't. It wouldn't. I doubt that would that particular one particular thing would add one person to the gate. But when you add all these things together, about you no know, people feeling like part of a team, we spoke about you know with the with the, the applause at the end of the game and them going round. If people feel part of something. They'll want to come back, and they'll know. And with the European game, it being a one-off game, hopefully there was people there on Thursday that saw that. I thought, yeah, this is really good. I'll come back, and then you see, oh, I can come. I can come all the rest of the season for ninety quid. Brilliant. You can, hopefully that's something you can lure people in because just saying, right, 
your season ticket is, I don't know, 300 quid, whatever. We're going to make it 200 across the board. We're not going to, we're not going to sell 20,000 season ticket, tickets because of that, or 17,000, whatever you would need to get the same amount of money. We just need, we need to try and appeal to people, get people back in the door. Just just for the record, you are allowed to call him Jet. You're not going to be suspended if you call him Jet. It's just that I'm, I'm not going to, okay? Um, and, um, yes, after making um, a point last week of saying that, you know, we were going to work harder to uh, fully reflect the full spectrum of the Aberdeen support, um, you've ended up with four middle-aged blokes on this week. Sorry, folks. Um, anyway. Can we add something to that before we move on? That I... I... I couldn't agree more with uh, my fellow Martin about the you know the the, the deal again and you know the, the under 18s with a 90 pound ticket to get into the red shed and while it's not you know 90 pounds is still a lot of money it's obviously a hell of a lot cheaper than what a normal season ticket would be but you, you touched on you know it, it isn't price elastic in terms of the fact that there are there is a kind of a prerequisite base at the moment of the number of fans that you think we're going into and whether whether it's like 8,000 at the moment or whether it ends up being somewhere in the region, you know, if we're doing well then hopefully the average crowd would be something you know, at least five figures but at the moment it's not 20,000 so there is clearly a capacity within the ground that we could get people in for so getting your under 18 to my under 18, you're really kind of thinking the kind of 16, 17, 18 year olds that want to go and you know um, like the red shed is exactly the place for us but I think we could, we could you know, it's kind of, you know Investing, investing in youth to kind of get the benefit going forward. We have thousands of seats on that we will regularly not fill up on a, on a, on a game by game basis. What? Why are we not just making a, a flat invitation to every primary school in the city and shire and saying, "Bring us your children, come in for free." You know, you you might not get any direct kind of benefit from it in the meantime, but you know, and, and it's another thing I want to see. I mean, not that um, you know, I. Uh, I don't, I don't have kids myself, and so it's not an issue for myself. But I, I obviously all, also don't want to lose. I think the Red Shed, as I said beforehand, is a fantastic idea. But you don't want to lose somewhere in the ground where you're focusing on the families and the young kids that you can get into going to the game and into the place where you can encourage young children and families to be able to bring their, 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 their you know, prospective Don supporters as well. But, you know, how many, you know, I saw... Um, Again, some someone else kind of reminiscing about somebody starting up a, a, a chain of chats. I think it was uh, Duncan Rothney, actually. You know, when was your first Aberdeen game? We want to be targeting, for me, 9, 10, 11-year-old kids that haven't been at Pataudry yet and then get them in the ground. And they might not be costing them anything right now, but if you get them in the ground, that then becomes their first memory of being at a football match and being part of something larger. And again, if it was a hacking-like game where you win 5-1 and everyone's singing at the end of the game and you go away with a spring in your step, someone who might not have even thought about going to an Aberdeen game in the past suddenly goes, that was something I really enjoyed, I might want to do that again. And the 11-year-old going in for free right now, you know, we should be thinking 10, 20 years down. You know, that person in 30 years' time is the 40-year-old person who might be moaning and whatever the equivalent of a podcast is in 30 years' time, but they're paying their season ticket to do it. So pre-COVID, they did do that, though. Primary school um, yeah. pupils were encouraged along most weeks. There'd be, like, three or four in the Merkland. They're like, I've always thought the Richard Donald is a more conducive area for entertaining children and you have the concourse you could put on various bits and bobs and I, I get what you're saying that they're not necessarily going to make any money of this now 
it's almost like like crack dealing or something, you know, like your first bag. But then, you know, like, we'll get... That's exactly how I would have went for. It's, a, it's, a, it's exactly what I was saying to Dave Cormack just the other day, you know, it's just like selling crack, you know, like, you, you give you, you give the first bag for free and then, you, but you, you, you... He's lived in Atlanta for so long, he'll know exactly what you're talking about, so... Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Like, the Red Shed initiative, though, is exactly the place probably to trial this subscription service so if it's 90 pounds 90 pounds for a season ticket um is like when i was 17 90 pounds i don't think i would have seen 90 pounds to be able to buy a season ticket but if you split that up over the 10 months it's nine pounds a month and if you want if if the club are serious about wanting to fill the red shed then there are there are places available in there right now so trial it with the younger and it's not only going to be 16, 17, 18 year olds, I suppose, but if you want a season ticket yeah. for the Red Shed and you haven't bought your season ticket yet, you don't want to devalue the amount that others have already paid. So then perhaps you want to do something there, subscription service, so you can fill those empty pockets that there will be. And it's really difficult to try and fill the stadium right now when, you know, with reduced uh, capacity. But definitely after or for United, something to get off the ground. It would, it's not insurmountable to get another thousand in the Red Shed on a subscription service, I don't think. Give us £9, yeah. you can come in now. Because the other thing is, uh, and again, I think it was part of the same conversation that I saw earlier, it was the SOO saying, oh, but you know, you can get three-month uh, finance or six-month finance. Well, no, you can't if you're 16 or 17. You probably won't get that finance deal. So, again, that, that excludes you from that. and It means that you're having to find what you... You know, an amount of money which is a reduced amount of money, sure, but it's still probably too much money for you to find in one fell swoop. Um, the other thing that comes out of that discussion is that the ground is plenty big enough to have different areas. That, you know, we have obviously done away with a dedicated family section in order to create the red shed, and I'm quite surprised at that. I completely agree, Mark, that the bottom of the RDS would make perfect sense for that. I know they balloted the season ticket holders in there about a decade ago as to whether they'd move. I said I would move. I was in there at that time, but they didn't get enough. Um, they didn't get enough support for that. I'm quite surprised that they haven't at least set up some area that is a dedicated family section because I think the ground, frankly, is big enough to cater for all these different sections in our support. And equally as well, again, just summing on Twitter the other day about how, you know, or you shouldn't come along to the game if you're not prepared to um, sing and chant and join in. Yeah, you should. Who are you to dictate how how people act at the football? The ground is plenty big enough. If you just want to come and you just want to observe and you just want to sit there with your tartan rug and your flask uh, and your, your bald sweets, that's absolutely fine. There is no one way to support this club. I think we'd all agree that, you know, for the rest, for us, who will be sat in other parts of the ground. Martin, are you moving to the Red Shed this year? Or? So we've, all, we've all renewed for the, for the South You're back in the South again. I, just, I, I, didn't, I know you went there for the Cup games. I just I wasn't sure. You know, the, the, most of the rest of us in the, in the rest of the ground will love the fact that there's a bit more noise and a bit more atmosphere about the place. But that doesn't necessarily mean that at the ages we're at, we want to be in there every week. You know what I mean? But it's fine. It's fine if you just want to come along and just want to sit and watch the game. That's absolutely fine. The ground is big enough to cater for all these different factions of our support. And 
I, I, I am quite surprised that it hasn't been a new section dedicated to the families. Obviously, you can't stick them next to the way support and the facilities in the south aren't great. Probably not enough space in the main. So you're kind of struggling with what to do there. I know, I know. And I suppose the hope is that some of the older kids will go in the red shed, I suppose. But... Obviously, we've just come out of a long period without getting to the games. There's still some uncertainty. We still don't know when we'll quite be able to be back there fully. So let's hope we can build those numbers up from the 8,000 we're currently at and have them at least back up towards the sort of 10,000 we were getting a couple of years ago. So Thursday night, um, we are back in Gothenburg. Hecken, second leg. Um, they drew 1-1 with fellow... European Europa Conference League qualifiers uh, Ellsberg yesterday um, that means it's four games unbeaten since uh, their summer break but they do seem to have something of an injury crisis ahead of the second leg Martin Ingram um, quite simply are we through? Richard I think you'll find their four games unbeaten in the league um. <laughs> <laughs> well yes that was Unsaid, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we are all of a nature where you never take anything for granted when it comes to Aberdeen Football Club. But by the same token, if if Aberdeen find themselves in a situation where they're losing by four goals in Sweden, then that probably exposes a lot more issues with the club than, than you know, the probably issues we need to know about sooner rather than later. So um, I think we're all expecting that we're going to get through to the next round. But, you know, we want we want to see a, a professional job done in the second leg um, and not take anything for granted. Um, and, and, and you know how European ties can go. I mean, I, I'm, I'm remembering... We came back now. I think, in fairness, they were a better team than than, than Hacken. But the the the, Rijeka, the first Rijeka tie where we came back with a three nil win, and well, I don't think anybody was quite you know saying we were through at that stage. I think everybody was relatively confident. And then as the game progressed, suddenly you lose a goal, and then you lose another goal, and 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 you know how momentum goes in football matches is that you know all of a sudden you've lost a couple of games, the momentum is going against you. And I think, so the important thing is to not get in that situation in the first place. The easiest way to get through a tie like that is to keep on keep on the front foot, look to dominate the game and look to win it if possible. Um, so, and, 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 you know, aside from anything, I think back when people were viewing this a lot more pessimistically than what they are now, I think a lot of people were saying, regardless of what the result is um, over the two games, they are too effectively competitive pre-season fixtures for us before we get into domestic competition as well so you want to you want to be continuing to progress in your preparations for you know the 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 league the scottish league cup when we get into it and you know and 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 other matches like that so i think for a variety of reasons it's important we stay we stay on the front foot treat it the the old cliche treat it as if it's nil nil and go out and just try to win the game on its merits and if we if we treat the match in in that way then i think the rest of it will take care of itself yeah, Mark, without being greedy, it is important to win the game on Thursday night and, and you know, fuck the coefficient. But it's about us getting into the winning habit ahead of a game on Sunday, ahead of potentially the uh, third qualifying round. Uh, we would be away from home in the uh, the first leg of that. Should, should, should we get through. So, um, when? When? <laughs> so yeah, without, without being too greedy, I don't just want to get through. I, I, I want to win this game. I'm all about the coefficient. 
all about the coefficient. Um, when when we're contributing it, fuck the coefficient when when certain teams are playing. But yeah, like winning winning, I think is it's important in here. It's, it's it breeds that mentality. It builds momentum. It grows confidence. It's it's it, it's not imperative that we win. You know, like I'll take a one nil loss, but you know you want to be winning every game and. Um, we're capable of winning it. We we just put five past them at home. Like we can not necessarily put another five past them at their home, but um, uh, yeah, I'm, I've never been more confident that we're going through ever, ever. Uh, Martin Clunas, uh, th- there's been some chat from um, from their camp that they're looking forward to facing us on a plastic pitch at home. Um, but it's not a situation we're unused to, is it? Uh, those sort of pitches. Um, yeah, no. The the staff of the, the journalists who report on BK Hacken have clearly never been to Livingston in January. Um, you know, we, we, we'll we'll cope just fine um, on a, on the plastic surface. There's a, there's no problem with that. Um, I think that was maybe perhaps an oversight on their part, thinking that you know, I mean, the, the you know, they have a, they have an all one of these all year round all weather pitches. No, it's not going to be one of these. It's not going to be one of these old school trampoline kind of things where you get weird bounces and all this kind of stuff. Uh, we'll we'll cope just fine. Um, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, as, I'm as confident as you can, as you can be. The, we're, no, we're not no, we're not going to throw away throw away a four goal lead. Um, this is no, this is no, you're, we'll go over there. You know, I, I said on Thursday, and I can, I'm, I'm com- confident in it. You know, you can afford to make a couple of changes if you're not wanting to risk it. If you're not wanting to risk anybody. Um, you know, you maybe look at someone like, like I say, I, w- I wouldn't, I wouldn't advocate dropping him, but if he wanted to look at maybe try and start Gur to see what you can get out of him, I wouldn't have a problem with that because you no, know, the tie is the tie is basically basically finished, um, and you no, know, it is. But you, do, but you, uh, you're all absolutely right. It's about winning games. You want it. You want to get another win on the board, uh, get more confidence going through. Hopefully, get a few more goals as well. Um, obviously, get uh, Jet. A, a clo- closer to that 20, <laughs> 20 goals that he's promised us, uh, which I'm going to run into the ground until he gets to the 20 goals he's promised that he owes us it. Um, he better he better deliver. Um, so you want to, you want to see that you want to see more goals and you want us to see us see us winning games. Um, and I'm I'm I know I'm, I'm absolutely 100 confident that we'll we'll pretty much coast through, especially with the injury crisis they've got as well. No, they're 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 pretty much the walking wounded at the moment. They've got a few, a few guys missing. Um, and if they keep if they keep if they play that goalie they played last Thursday, then you know I'd, I'd advocate Joe Lewis taking shots at him. To be honest, you know well, we're going to become a meme. Sorry, you know we're going to become a meme <laughs> in Sweden if, if we do get knocked out. Right? <laughs> I was just about to say I'm certainly clipping that answer and using it all week to be about six thirty on Thursday night. Um, that is the most fate that has ever been tempted by one man. Uh, <laughs> On a podcast ever. Um, yeah, but if Joe Lewis scores on Thursday, then the last laugh will be at me. <laughs> yeah, Joe Lewis's goal, re- goal return just just not been good enough. Um, right, as long as he doesn't score in a like end of last season way. Enough, Martin. Enough. Um, Sunday, Dundee United, the visitors. Um, a battle of two sides who made managerial changes uh, and appointments that. Um, Underwhelmed, shall we say, sections of their support um, when the decision was announced. Dundee United obviously appointing uh, Thomas Courts, who had been um, one of their youth academy coaches, I think. Uh, last season, obviously, um, 
most of those games we were under different management, but we failed to score against them in four matches. The one game in which Stephen Glass was in charge was a very chastening defeat. Um, now, Martin Ingram, um, Mickey Mellon may have gone, but the blueprint on how to beat a Stephen Glass team is still very much in the Tannadice building. It may well be, but I think even, I mean, although in time, not a lot of time has passed between that result and now, but in, in many respects, it's almost a completely different side now that, you know, or possibly different sides. Um, the way Aberdeen performed last Thursday is a world away from the side that petered out to a, a pretty depressing 3-0 defeat against Dundee United. And if it, if it means anything, I have a few... Um, I know it's sacrilegious to say so, but I have a few friends who are Dundee United fans, and um, uh, sometimes it's you know to to see yourself as others see you. I think the the, the general vibe I'm getting from Dundee United supporters is that they they took note of our result and performance last Thursday, and I, I think comparatively, you know, compared to them, they're they're um, admi- admittedly winning but struggling through games against the likes of our Baroth and East Fife, while you know we are looking you know very very polished already early in the season and from, from that European outfit. So they are they are fearing the worst and I think, you know, again, positive mindset, I think we the, the important thing is let's let's not give them any encouragement to think otherwise. If they are if if, if they are thinking they're going to be on the the back end of a of a of a dominating Aberdeen performance, I think let's let's see if we can give them one. Um all, always slightly challenging in that you know, we're we're gonna have to come from a, a late Thursday night game in Sweden to and, and then come come back in order to get that that get that game. So um whether and, and again I think sometimes a lot more gets read into that and than the normal. I've said beforehand that, you know we have one of the worst records. I remember we always used to get Celtic after they'd been away in European ties, and I think our record was like we'd lost every single game that we played. So I think a lot more gets read into that than usual. But I think it will be it will be a big ask just so early in the season. Again, we we haven't had many um, competitive fixtures under our belt, so I think it will be a big ask to go from very little football to you know Thursday straight into the weekend. Um, and as as Martin touched upon there I, I wouldn't actually be surprised if there might be a few changes in the team on Thursday just with that in mind just to get get some guys game because we probably have the 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 um luxury of being able to do that but to effectively kind of keep as fit a, uh, an 11 as possible for for the United game but um there's um nothing from I mean you know United, they've they, they, they've done what's been expected of them in terms of League Cup games, but I think nobody nobody thinks they've been overly overly impressive in the way that they've done that. And I think the focus should be, regardless of whether they've seen the glass in, um, template or not. If um, I think when you're looking at a home game against United, I think we should be saying to ourselves, if we can implement our game plan to the best of our ability, then it shouldn't matter. So I think that's the mindset that should be taken into that game. And again, hopefully, a home support, a reasonable sized home support. In there on Sunday, which will feel like another step towards normality. So, my thanks tonight to Mark Ellick. Mark, thank you. Thank you for the invite. Cheers. Had a ball again. Thank you to Martin Ingram. Thank you for having me on again, and a pleasure as always. And thanks to Martin Cleaners. Cheers, Richard. That has been the Here We Go podcast in the week where Aberdeen made a return to Europe and the fans made a return to Pataudry after 16 long months. 
ideally, when we make the return to Gothenburg, we come away with a... We don't do losing in Gothenburg, so hopefully not, uh, we don't uh, start on Thursday night. Until then, come on you guys.